0: Guys, You're listening to Metal Matters, a weekly gimme radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill. If you like metal, punk, hardcore, or anything extreme, you've come to the right place. So subscribe and never miss out. All right, welcome to the new year, everybody. This is the 2020 debut episode of Metal Matters. And we're kicking things off with John Wiederhorn. If you read anything Related to heavy metal or extreme music, you most likely read something that John's written. uh, His work has appeared in Revolver, Decibel, uh, you name it. John has a bunch of books out as well. Uh, What comes to mind is Louder Than Hell, The Definitive Oral History of Metal, a book that he co-wrote with Catherine Turman. He also has biographies with Scott Ian, Al Jorgensen. Another one is a book that I quite enjoyed. It's the biography of Roger Murray of the Agnostic Front. Tonight, we are on the eve of the release of John's brand new book called Raising Hell. Essentially, it's a collection of war stories by a bunch of uh, heavy metal artists. John's got it all broken down into thematic chapters, but he'll tell you all about it. So let's not waste any more time. Before we get into the book, I just got some questions uh, I'm just gonna roll with it, man. I mean, we're talking already. Uh, you know, you probably—I don't know if you listened to the show before, but it's always pretty, pretty casual. There's no like, sure. formal beginning and end to this thing. So, um, you know, like you and me and everyone that's been listening to this thing, you know, we're we're obsessed with metal and extreme music, that kind of stuff. But in the bigger picture, this is all pretty obscure and fringe to a lot of people. You know, like to, to me and you and the listeners. Bands like Goat, whore, Morbid Angel, or like household names, you know. Um, So, what drew you as a journalist to writing about metal and extreme music?
1: Really, uh, just my my evolution with heavy music um, just went in a in a natural fashion. Like the the first time I heard uh, ACDC's Back in Black. I was just blown away and I had to check out, well, what else do these guys do? Like, this is, this is so cool. Was it sixth grade or something? Um, you know, and I got highway to hell. I think I got that for my bar mitzvah Oh, great! <laughs> along with in, in, through the outdoor by Zeppelin. Um, but the first real metal album, I think that I can, can point to would be uh, Judas priest Hellbent for leather. It's a so-called killing machine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my cousin, was uh really into rush and uh i was into zeppelin and some other stuff but he was he had a bit of a role in turning me onto some some bands and uh so i liked rush but they weren't quite intense enough for me sure i get so it so he puts uh we're, we're at my uh my cousin's house in uh upstate new york um and he he has his boom box he's like hey listen to this and he hits, hits the play button and on comes hellbent for leather you know the motorcycles and the revving guitars i'm like holy shit it was just like completely mind-blowing to me because i'd never heard anything like it at the time and i've heard people say things like that about you know the first time they heard maiden um or younger people say you know if they got their introduction to to, to metal through uh master of puppets for instance mm-hmm. but uh it really kind of set me on a path. I just heard this and I loved it. I was like, this is, this is the sound. This is, this is the intensity that I've been, you know, not looking for, not even knowing was there, but now that I've got it, bam, you know, I want to check out uh, more of this. So uh, I just kind of went through a process from, you know, junior high up until high school when um, I, I, I was, it's funny. There was a, a radio show it was like the great american radio Met- hour or something it was a syndicated show and they were doing metal and they had docking uh they played breaking the chains they and they were little interviews with the band members in between they motley cruz looks the kill and they might have had rat round and round or might have been someone else and then they played a Manowar track um, and I hear, I taste your blood yeah. as it showers from my blade, you know, hatred. And I was <laughs> like, Oh my God, this is, this is, you know, it's not fast, but it's so heavy. And back then tasting blood and, and, you know, graphic slaying wasn't so prominent, um, in metal, and at least in my world. So, I, I ran out and got albums by all those bands, and I'll, I'll still stand behind Looks That Kill. Oh, and, totally. Uh, man. Yeah. And, and yeah, I you know, I think the first two crew records were pretty pretty great. After that, they totally lost me. Um, Dokken, I love to this day. Well, no, I mean, I, I like their old stuff to this day. They're for the albums until George Lynch left, um, just because they really wrote powerful and and well articulated songs and the and the guitars are are unbelievable um and then manowar put me on this i must find heavier things than this kick so um it was around i guess you know the mid 80s when when the thrash scene started and at first i missed metallica i uh, got this album called total destruction that metal blade had put out as one of their first releases and it had songs by Bitch. And Slayer, um, and my, I think it was Aggressive Perfector by Slayer, and a bunch of other other bands that were in, in the initial uh, staple of of metal blade bands. But of course Slayer stood out, and um, I I got a copy of Heavy Metal magazine, you know the, the comic booky sort of sci fi thing oh, yeah, and I'm had, well well aware of that yeah uh, yeah that <laughs> <film>. <laughs> and they'd reviewed all these metal records in one one issue and one of them was slayer and i love i'll never forget the line it said we'll make hardcore punks reach for the geritol <laughs> nice. so i thought well yeah i've got to get this and they also reviewed the oz record yes sweden oz band i mean i knew ozzy liked it loved sabbath but you know they they were reviewing all these other bands that i didn't know uh, Power metal and some new wave of British heavy metalish type stuff. So you know that that put me on a a track too. Um, then I discovered Venom. I guess that was the next big thing, and of course that was a monumental leap. One that I was almost freaked out by because I was like, "Oh wow, I'm, I'm seeking the heaviest stuff possible, and this is almost too heavy, man. This is this is evil." Um, and I left the store without buying buying the record. And it nagged at me all afternoon. I went back and bought it anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, I found myself in a similar situation at times, too. Because, you know, this is I'm a, this is back in the 80s when uh, in the news you would read about guys like Ricky Casso, like, murdering people. The name is Satan. And uh, as a young man, there was that fear, maybe, that somehow you would be taken over by the evil forces encapsulated on this record and somehow be... Called forth to do the de- the devil's bidding, you know that was kind of you know a, a kind of immature fear. But you know once you st- once you really get into the music and you start seeing that it's like you know this is like some real freedom of expression going on. You know that's like when you know, you kind of join in on the whole like statement behind everything. You know,
1: yeah, it's funny. Well, there's this fine line between theatrical expression and real spiritual, um, conviction. Yeah. And it was pretty clear that venom were sticky yeah, exactly. and I lo- loved it. But then, and, and you know, I heard possessed and didn't know what, quite what to make of it, except that it was the heaviest, fastest thing I'd ever heard in my life, seven churches. Um, and I still maintain that was the first death metal record, even though death was, you know, brimming around at the same time. Um, and obviously love them and Chuck, a master exactly but yeah. but uh you know it uh the 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 satanic element had this weird effect on me and I'm not a religious dude never really was so it's really kind of funny um on the one hand I wanted to delve into it and I got Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible and read it and you know, it's really just a doctrine of hedonism um but on the other hand I was kind of like well what if you know, if listening to this shit is really going to be bad for my immortal soul, I'm a teenager, you know, I, yeah. I didn't really know, you know, King Diamond seemed pretty sincere at the time that he really was a living Satanist. And, you know, he's backed up from that over the years, of course. But uh so, so, yeah, and, and it's an interesting place to be, I think, because metal should be scary, you know, and there should be a point where you question how far is too far as the decades passed you know i think the next time that really confronted me having already discovered death metal and grindcore and and you know stuff i really really dug that wasn't yeah you know maybe morbid angel seemed a little fringy but at that point i didn't really believe in satanism and kind of didn't believe in the devil so let them have their fun um but then you know when the scandinavian black metal thing hit i paused because i was like you know mayhem's first album well not death crush but uh, the mysterious stone Satanic was fucking brutal it was so good and emperor's first album was so good and they were hitting at the time where the press was just bombarding and it was great for the bands but but there was this 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 Huge deluge of of press focusing on the murders, the evil, uh, you know, church burnings, and how these guys weren't faking it; they were they were the real thing. Um, and when it came to, uh, I'll name the band, but I almost hate to, because everyone draws a line in the sand somewhere. But when they, when they name, you know, when Burzum came around. And I learned of Varg's uh, neo-Nazi uh, predilections and and his real antipathy towards towards mankind, and I guess really the anti-Semitism that that he promoted, which which rubbed me definitely the wrong way, because I, I don't have anything wrong with anti-Christian bands, because to me they're not targeting specific people and saying these people should die. They're, they're targeting a philosophy or a spiritual, um, you know, approach organized religion, especially, which has caused more, more death and, and uh, you know um, discord in, in, in in the history of the world than probably any other force. Um, So, you know, those bands, I, I didn't, have a problem with rotting Christ and and um, Marduk and you know whoever uh, I mean billions of them incantation and and uh, uh, you know etc. But but then yeah um, the bands that were that uh, NSBM thing just I couldn't didn't want to write about them didn't want to listen to it just it was the one thing that I just couldn't uh, couldn't accept and hated really
0: it's not against the philosophy it's like a sort of very confused mindset that draws people to single other groups of people out because of maybe some kind of um character flaw that they have or something that makes them uncomfortable about things about themselves i feel is why people get drawn into that world um right you know like skinheads and you know
1: nsbm and that sort of thing but uh yeah But then the question arises, what do you do when one of these bands is, you know, actually really talented or actually really good? And then you could say the same thing about gangster rap. And, you know, there was a period where Public Enemy was getting a lot of crap because uh, Professor Griff had said some anti-Semitic things. And I I love Public Enemy. Uh, And I don't think Chuck D has any of those, those, you know, sentiments. And if he did... It was when he was super young and it didn't, you know, he's since altered his consciousness. But but yeah, um, it's it's kind of a conundrum that I think a lot of people have to face where, you know, it's like, where does the musician's beliefs stop and his music begin in my mind? Like, what should I value him because the musical contributions or should I shun him? Because of what he believes in, and um, like I said, it's a fine line. But for me, it's the the NSBM is the uh, is the cutoff point.
0: I would tend to agree with that. Uh, You know, the thing with Burzum is that so many bands wouldn't exist without Burzum as well. I mean, bands like Leviathan. You know, um, I own a lot of Burzum records, especially those earlier ones. Uh, However, Varg the man is somebody that. Just because of his very um, ignorant and hate-filled ideologies, is somebody that I can never get behind as you know someone to follow. You know what I mean? He's not someone that I have any personal respect for. However, when I listened to you know before I knew about the NSBM aspects of the Burzum music, I was like, wow, this is like a very interesting step forward in extreme music. You know, the regression of the kind of rawness of it was adding this whole new dimension to a style of music, you know, and
1: And the atmospheric qualities rubbed off on a lot of bands. I love now. Yeah. Uh, And Dark Throne, too. But I think I still love Dark Throne. I'll still listen to them and I'll still praise them. Yeah, totally. I think they had some confused moments, but it uh, it overall didn't didn't come across with that that same animosity and hate. You know that was drive the driving force.
0: I just think also the isolation of being in Norway, as opposed to a more cosmopolitan part of Europe, where you actually aren't in contact with a lot of different types of people. Um, you know, especially back in the early '90s when communication wasn't was wasn't what it is now. And um, you know, Bergen is like a tiny town, and Norway is incredibly far away from the sort of mainstream places that are, you know, like, like the more cosmopolitan centers like Germany, you know, the UK, and um, you can see that in the United States, the more remote you go, the more sort of insular people's ideologies become. So you know, if you don't have to deal with people from other cultures, you tend to have this myopic viewpoint, you know, and I think that with the, the Satanism, the reaction to Christianity, uh, this kind of reinforcement of all this misanthropic ideas I think was what led you know nurtured this this hate-filled sort of guy you know what I mean
1: yeah but beyond beyond Burzum you got guys who are burning churches um killing homosexuals because they're homophobic I mean dissection (laughs) some great records oh yeah definitely another troubled guy (laughs) yeah can you support the band so it it uh Again, it's that line in the sand, um, and it's it's interesting to sort of uh, pontificate about. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's true. It's, Remote it, areas have made some great music. It's true. Yeah, you know,
0: it's there's no clear answer though to this thing. I think as well. I mean, you know, as far as uh, I also don't agree with the people that just dismiss everything because the artist that created the music is a troubled person and has like fucked up ideas, you know? So it's right. like, it, it is a very complicated
1: subject. Right. Right. No, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, and as far as extreme music coming out of isolated places, that's true in a lot of, a lot of uh, times, but, but then, you know, the Florida death metal scene. Yeah. Tampa's not Miami, but it was still a pretty, I guess it wasn't it was cosmopolitan I guess it's a lot of old people there and it's always fucking hot and you know there were a lot of these misanthropic kids from middle middle class I guess upbringings who who, who started this revolution uh, I think Morrisound sound had as much to do with the explosion there as the bands did it was all just kind of one happy uh, or very miserable <laughs> um, conglomeration that 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 spawned this this killer scene um yeah and maybe this in 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 newcastle
0: yeah i mean you know there's there's the urban experience you know what i mean newcastle is like a heavy duty working class kind of vibe kind of place you know and uh you know that is a kid i always felt like that scene was almost like like 80s New York City, you know, like, like New York hardcore in a lot of ways, where it was just this, you know, a very gritty, uh, you know, sort of worldview, just from the, the struggle of existing in the urban environment, you know?
1: Yeah, no, right. Yeah, there was, there was New York, you know, the fabulous Big Apple. And then in the mid 80s, there were these these kids from abused households who had nothing going for them and were told they were failures and they they lived in these squats in the east village and you know which were horrible places to be they were practically homeless uh those areas are now multi-million dollar you know brownstones and condos but uh, at the time i think that that whole environment really really fueled the, the the new york hardcore scene with you know, agnostic front and sheer terror and chromags, etc. It's all about the love of mu- love of music and metal. You know, yeah. kind of. You know, I, I don't know if you knew this or not,
0: but I'm a, also a Boston University alumnus. Uh, went. Oh, to, I didn't
1: you know, know that. I
0: went to BU. Uh, you know, graduated in 1990. So, yeah. Damn, same same year, my friend. Oh, really? So I was yeah. in. I went to the College of Engineering, and uh, you went to, I guess, uh, Communications.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Howard Stern is also an alumnus. of That's right, but he didn't graduate. Oh, he's, oh, that's oh, yeah, he didn't. That's right. Yeah. No, he, he did all right for himself, though. I, I, that degree, I don't think, would have helped or hurt. Or hurt <laughs> so now, now your most recent book, Raising Hell, which is essentially about derelict behavior within the world of obscure, extreme music. Is that pretty much an accurate assessment
1: of the book? There's a lot of that, but no, see, I, I see it more as a reflection of a lifestyle and culture of metal from mainstream metal acts to extreme underground acts. And the more outrageous or sensational passages in the chapters about drug abuse, alcohol abuse, vomiting, um, and certainly uh, rampant sex are, are pretty wild. Um, and a lot of people telling those stories tend to be some of the more underground artists. Um, and, and I kind of having interviewed bands for 25 years, you know, I kind of, uh, cherry picked who I talked to. It wasn't like, oh, I couldn't get Ozzy. So let's settle for King Fowley of deceased. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew King Fowley was an amazing interview, a fascinating guy. And someone who exemplifies metal, you know, so not not the rock star metal, but the the gritty uh, urban metal from a guy who's never going to be able to make a living just doing metal, but uh, lived the lifestyle to the fullest and and got knee deep in the sex, drugs and rock and roll part of it. Um, So, I mean, there were a lot of dudes that i uh I, I went to knowing they just were great storytellers so you know while i i was able to to reach out to uh folks like um rob halford and glenn tipton from judas priest and uh d snyder from twisted sister and guys from warrant and you know, so there are some rock stars that are verifiably uh you know huge millionaire dudes or whatever um a lot of those guys are a little more guarded and, and maybe with good reason. Um, but then you find the people who just don't give a fuck. And, and those are the ones who will tell you the great stories and you'll get the, the real legendary stuff out of Cause I, I think everybody who makes it in a rock band of some success and is pretty young and has lived with the, the mythology of their heroes, you know, read the Zeppelin biographies and, and uh maybe even the dirt by motley crew or or uh, long hard road out of hell about Marilyn manson both by neil strauss the mighty memoir writer before he uh, became a um not a, a self-help guru but he's more like a like a how to get laid guru i guess he's really <laughs> done well for himself in that front but <laughs> it's, it's you know good for him if i could pull it off maybe i would but uh Stuck writing about metal um so so yeah, I mean, I just I just think that these stories had to convey interesting and kind of unexpected angles like if you're gonna tell a sex story, it's not like, oh yeah, man, you know, I scored with this chick after the show, and we went back to the to the bus and we had sex, and she left like, okay. I mean, yeah, that's a sex story, but it's much more interesting to hear Dave Windorf talk about, you know, from Monster Magnet.
0: Yeah, we're we're in the same uh, rehearsal building as Monster Magnet. Dave
1: is great. And and yeah, he's worked with some great players, too. And but he he, uh, you know, um, pulls no punches when it it comes to talking about his sexual conquests and the the craziest uh, episodes that that he's he's been through in the, in the process while, you know, like having someone pull out a badge in the middle of having sex and say, Hey, if you know, if you weren't good, I was going to arrest you. I mean, what a great, what a great story. Or, or, um, the
0: Al Jorgensen one, I think was good with the uh, mother daughter, uh, combo, <laughs> yeah. uh, sort of portraying, um, you know, the depression of a situation like that, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And depravity too. Yeah. Just yeah. Al is an amazing storyteller and, and, uh, I was so enthralled, actually, with, with him. I mean, Ministry, when I discovered them, just blew my mind because it, it came once they turned, started turning metal. It was with uh, The Mind is a Terrible Thing to Taste, and uh, that combination of electronic um, effects and sound bites with brutal thrash riffs, uh, courtesy of Mikey Skasha. You know, he's a great thrash guitarist and introduced... Uh, al to, to that element of music and they incorporated it with electronic music and boom you have this incredible new sound um you know we wouldn't have nine inch nails if you didn't have ministry um so yeah uh, but but he's a great storyteller and he's crazy um and he had 25 years of 15 years of heroin abuse so um when i did my first book i really wanted you know uh, louder than hell which i co-wrote with katherine Terman um i wanted to definitely get al to be a prominent part of the industrial metal chapter and after the interviews that were just so great and out there uh i asked him if he wanted to do a memoir and he actually he, he had been thinking about it so that was the uh, the second book i did which was just awesome but again i've gone off on a tangent here um so i knew that al would be a great addition to this book as well um and Scott Ian as well, because I, I wrote his book with him. I was going to say, Scott Ian's
0: uh, contributions were really cool, too. And uh, yeah. I, I always like hearing interviews with him anyway. I mean, I never met Scott Ian, but I always enjoy hearing him talk about things that happened throughout the 80s and, you know, not even specifically Anthrax stuff, like when talking about going to see Ozzy, you know, and Metallica and stuff like that, you know, it's sure. it cool stories.
1: Sure. Being in, like, the rehearsal spot, well metallica are standing around their amps in a circle uh drumming up the uh you know uh beginning stages of Kill 'Em all it's amazing um yeah he's total metal guy and and a super articulate guy and smart guy and and best of all he's a funny guy you know i think that's what's important is finding people with personality who have stories to tell and can tell them in a witty sarcastic or maybe self-deprecating sometimes sometimes they're all out you know self self promoting but but personality was was key for this book not to be boring
0: speaking of personality you got one of my favorite personalities in there ben
1: Falgoust. so that was it's cool to see that ben was included oh he's a great dude every chapter in the book is named after a metal song and uh so uh, you know stories about vomiting it's called revelation nausea chapter which vomitory song um welcome to hell of course is all about the occult and and, and satanism and then i wanted to do a uh um die uh, uh well there was the re- raining blood which is all about kind of you know bloody travesties that have occurred on the road so yeah so in that respect i guess going way back to what you're talking about before it's not just the uh excess and and uh, depravity there's a lot about the hard metal lifestyle uh you know being in vehicles that unfortunately crash uh hurting yourself on stage um but some of these stories have a life of their own so it's not just a a terrible tale of someone who was injured it's the way they were injured or what they did afterwards or you know so it's it's that was that was interesting for me but for die by, die, die with your boots on which was all about near-death experiences i found that there were an awful lot of near-death experiences that were vehicle related and it got to the point where there were so many of them i was like well you know maybe i should do a chapter just about car crashes or near misses or uh you know horrible things that happened on the road so i, I did the highway to hell chapter now did the chapters come as a
0: result? Like which came first, like the material, all of the interviewing, like where, where where in the process did you come up with the chapter titles? Like was that something you had in mind, or did that come as a result of speaking with these guys?
1: Yeah, that was that was the objective of the book before I even spoke with them. Because when I did uh, the book, uh, louder than hell, the the approach was to tell the history of metal from the the sixties. The late sixties to the present day, through the voices of of all of these musicians and and managers and fans and whoever was photographers, whatever whoever was there, and and living it, and we had some great stories in there, um, but at the at the same time there were a lot of a lot of stories about how bands formed, how scenes evolved. So it was a history book. So having done one history metal book there's no way I wanted to tell history of metal again. And I didn't really want to focus on one specific subgenre. And I thought, what were the coolest things about louder than hell? Well, to me, it was a lot of it was the wild stories and learning about, uh, the crazy antics that Exodus and, and, uh, you know, Gary Holt, um, pulled in, in, in the band when, when they were just coming up in the San Francisco scene, the houses they trashed and the, uh, you know, uh, drugs they consumed and the chaos that they engendered. Um, I thought, what are the basic things of metal if I'm not going to do a history book? Okay, sex, drugs, rock and roll, easy. Satanism, near death experiences, stage accidents, and it kind of just went on and on. And I'm like, um, what have I heard talking to you know great musicians over the last 25 years? Well, they're you know they're starving, so maybe they're stealing to eat, or maybe they're just stealing. So thieves became a chapter and then a lot of these guys get busted for one reason or another and end up doing time or just spending a night in jail or getting pulled over. So that won't that turned into breaking the law and uh, puke stories. I've always loved asking puke artists about puke stories. Cause I don't know, maybe I just like sick shit, <laughs> um, but some puke stories are funny as hell. And uh, you know, reading about uh, Max Cavalera throwing up on Eddie Vedder in the ministry tour bus. (laughs) It's just funny to me. So that became revelation nausea. So um, everything kind of evolved out of the the, the, uh, subject matter that I wanted to address and kind of knowing metal culture, I kind of knew which, which points to, uh, to hit upon. And the only really serious, I guess, chapter beyond the, 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 horrible, uh, highway to hell chapter about, uh, accidents and injuries, um, is the metal on metal chapter, which is, uh, metal bands uh, or metal musicians talking about what inspired them to do what they do. And, uh, if they've met their heroes and what it was like, um, that was just really kind of a tribute to, to the legacy of, of, of metal and, and, uh, you know, a nod to some of my heroes. Yeah, meeting meeting your heroes sometimes can be
0: complicated, you know. As as uh, you build up this idea about what you hope they would be like, and then when you you actually meet them, sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes it's not so awesome, you know. Right,
1: right. Well, someone um, said, "Kill your idols," right? Yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, actually, another one of my favorites is, uh, and I was surprised, is uh, Billy from Biohazard. Like some of his entries, I thought were really cool, and um, not that I I don't was surprised that i enjoyed them but uh that sort of came out of nowhere a lot of the stories he was telling and i thought when i was reading and i saw that he was in you know in the book i was like i wonder if he's going to talk about the infamous allentown uh skinhead violence that happened throughout the the early 90s and sure (laughs) enough he had his uh his story about the uh nazi skin violence in uh in allentown and that was like an infamous place for that kind of stuff
1: yeah yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a few anecdotes in there about uh, people sig heiling at uh, at shows where they certainly weren't uh, weren't welcome. I mean, half yeah. the guys in Biohazard are Jewish. So. I know exactly, right? You know. but then it's great that uh, that Billy tells a story about one episode where there were these people, you know, uh, putting up the Nazi salute or whatever, and then he confronted the guy. And this guy was just completely clueless. He's like, "Oh man, I had a, had a bad upbringing, and you know, I did, This is the these are the values my parents, you know, instilled in me." And Billy's like, "Well, you know, you don't have to be like that. You don't have to to, to uh, follow in their in their footsteps. You know, be your own your own person." He's like, "Yeah, man. Yeah, well, you know, it's not really the Jews we hate. It's the blacks. Oh, <laughs> like, oh, dude." <laughs> Yeah. Somehow that makes it better, I guess, right? You know? Right, right. And so he, this poor—it's not poor kid, misguided kid—just kind of dug himself a hole, and Billy just kind of laughed in the end. And he's like, you know, this guy's harmless, and maybe I can steer him in the right direction. And Paige Hamilton from Helmet also talks about a, a neo-Nazi uh, who, who was at the show, and and he was like, look, if you're going to do that, get the fuck out of here. But if you want to mosh with the crowd, enjoy the show—you're more than welcome. And he feels he got through to the guy and and, uh, you know, maybe helped change his perspective on on uh, his hateful views. So so I, I found that interesting. Really, I'm interested in people and and stories and, and what makes musicians tick, um, because, as you know, being a musician is such an individualistic kind of kind of thing. You're, you're in this situation where you're not living the life of your peers or your friends or people you grew up with and it's, you know, tour, uh, studio, tour, studio, three-month break if you're lucky. Try you know, to survive
0: it, during that three months. Yeah, so, yeah.
1: yeah. And, and touring for gas money, traveling in vans, you know. It's not so interesting when these guys are driving giant buses and and making tons of money. But, and this is another reason I included a lot of I still consider them legends because however you slice it, if I hate God are always going to be touring in vans, they're still a legendary band. There's a spinal tap chapter and homage to the best movie of all time. And it's the best movie because every band has lived what goes on in that film. And I, I wanted to include a lot of stories that are spinal tap type experiences without being the story of the band getting lost under the stage or, you know, the, the band, uh, having, um, their, their equipment, uh, go wonky on stage or, or whatever. There's just so many other things. that are silly and crazy, uh, about metal touring and, and, uh, performing that lots of things go wrong. Lots of things in our know, topsy turvy. And I think a lot of people have told me that's their favorite chapter because so, it's, just, it's just fun. The whole book's supposed to be just fun. I hope no one turns to me and says this is misogynist or this is you're promoting violence. You're talking about all the horrible parts of metal and not the good parts. It's not supposed to be a deadly serious book, but this shit happens. You know, every, every dude who joins a band wants to get laid wants to have as many hot chicks as they can. You know, everybody said it from from Eddie Van Halen to Gene Simmons to, you know, well, Evan Seinfeld, but he's... <laughs> he actually uh, went ahead and did all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, he's not in this book because he was in Louder Than Hell and told some crazy great stories, but so did Billy. And I thought, you know, Evan's just going to talk about sicko porn shit, and he did that. I did that with him, and it was funny and sometimes... But I'd really like to hear what uh, what Billy has to say because I, I, he's more on the ground level, you know, kind of fighting in the hardcore scene. And he did lot uh, getting lots of fights, and he did lots of drugs, and he did lots of uh, extreme antics. And 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 it was really flattering to me. He read the book, and he said, "Man, you have just nailed what happens backstage and the stuff that bands don't tell their wives about." and all the, the the crazy stuff that goes on with a life in metal that people don't know because so many people are afraid to talk about it.
0: Yeah, and also the vibe from the book, too, is is that the, the kind of uh, monotony, too, of being out on tour, you know what I mean, breeds a lot of unusual behaviors in people. You know what I Absolutely. mean? Absolutely, yeah. I think that's kind of like, you know, it's not – Normal person's sort of gig doing this stuff, and you know, like when people, for example, like with the drug stuff, you know, people who don't experience this aspect of life are like, Oh, I, I don't understand why this guy is an alcoholic or he got involved with you know drug addiction or whatever. But it's like, okay, you try doing the same exact thing every single day without you know, seven days a week for 40 something days. And most of that time is spent sitting there not doing anything and you get bored right, Hurry up and wait. Yeah, hurry up and wait and then you get to do your thing for like 45 minutes to an hour on stage if you're you know if that's like your time slot. And then there's just a lot of open blank time that you have to fill in creative ways. And a lot of people through boredom and whatnot that's and also things like alcohol are, are freely available like backstage. you show up Encouraged. at the, Yeah, you show up at the gig. You load in there's a case of beer if you drink that case of beer they bring another case of beer there's a bottle you know then after the show some creep shows up that has got you know it's got like cocaine and all this other stuff you know what I mean and it's like uh it's easy to fall into that cycle of every day waking up getting in the van driving somewhere having all this stuff around and being bored and then next thing you know You know, some people develop habits and all this other stuff. And I think that that sort of aspect is captured in that chapter really well, I thought.
1: Yeah, thanks. I I definitely wanted to get get that across. At the same time, a lot of these young musicians are suddenly in an environment where they're encouraged to to drink and and maybe their management is helping to hook them up with with uh, Speed or Coke. And there are hot chicks everywhere. And suddenly they're super interested in these guys that were maybe practicing guitars 12 hours a day and and you know weren't dating in high school so there's this kid in a cookie jar aspect for the young musician where you get into this lifestyle and fortunately a lot of them break out of it um but some get trapped you know and and uh if it sticks with you far into your 40s or, or or beyond then you could be a lifer like lemmy and be you know lauded and, and, and praised for his his uh trueness to his 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 own kind of aesthetic which is which is great Lemmy I mean, he was so fucking real he was he was the real deal um but a lot of guys fall off the tracks and overdose or uh end up in rehab or have to have uh, liver transplants because they're you know on death's door from drinking for for 25 years um so yeah i mean it's it's definitely i think the knowing knowing your moderation knowing when to say when or knowing what your your limits are is super important but that's so hazy when you're in this uh, whirlwind of of rock star or rock and roll activity
0: yeah and also the level of that you have to go to is different than what most people who work at like you know an office building uh have to deal with like on a weekend or something you know uh you know the the norm is different you know so you might be normal in your consumption of certain things in the context of being on the road but that's way, way past what most people that have like a normal existence would ever dream of going to, you know what I mean? And on all levels, so even, you know, some of this other extreme behavior, you know, the, the prank pranking and drinking and sex and all this other stuff, you know?
1: Yeah. A lot of guys who don't drink or even if they do, they're still looking for stuff to fill their time Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and just do dumb shit. Like uh, Richard Christie, uh, you know, worked with, works with Howard Stern and, and is on the show, but also has been in Charred Walls of the Damned and he was in Death and some other bands. He had a thing for shit in places, so he would just kind of get hammered and you know shit backstage. Or there was an oven in one venue, so they decided it would be funny to to shit in a uh, a tin and then stick it in the oven and turn it on and. <laughs> You know it's disgusting, but it's funny. You know, uh, so I think if you look at it all with a sense of humor, maybe <laughs> it's not going to be a book that's that's perceived like a uh, a, a turd covered, uh, you know, yeah. a gift that has to be quickly dispensed of, and and, and then you spray the lysol.
0: So, what what are the details about this release? Uh, what,
1: who's publishing it?
0: Uh, you know, what, is it going to be available on Amazon, like all that business?
1: Yeah, there's a, It's on Amazon now for pre order. Um, it comes out January seventh, and it's being put out by Diversion Books, which is a fairly new imprint, um, but one which is putting an awful lot of effort and energy into into its titles they've hired staff members who worked at the capo which is now uh linked up with Hachette. um so so it's an indie label not label whoops it's an indie indie book company but they they approach this the um the work with with the experience of, of of people who've been at at major companies and uh also with some really creative ideas too so uh, yeah, the book will be available everywhere. Um, we've got a lot of good promotion lined up for it. And um, it looks like there's going to be a podcast to accompany it. And awesome. we're not sure if it's going to be weekly or what it's going to uh, entail exactly. But I've, I've written a couple of the scripts and uh, we'll see where it leads. But I really like the kind of experimentation aspect where they're behind this thing as a book. But let's see what else we can do with it because really now you really have to look at, at an object or an entity on, on, on different levels and, and see how can we multipurpose this and what would be interesting to different audiences. So in addition to this book, I know you got, uh,
0: you know, Lower than hell you got the, the Roger, the, uh, my riot, my riot, the Roger Murray uh, bio, you got the Al Jorgensen book. W- what am I missing?
1: uh Scott Ian, i guess but we talked ah, about it earlier yes. so. okay yeah <laughs> um so
0: anyone out there john you know if you've read it all about music you probably read one of john's articles i mean i know you're a regular contributor at revolver and among other places you know what i mean do you have a social media follow you know is there a presence where people can reach you to follow what's going on especially with the release of this upcoming book and everything
1: yeah, I mean, my my Facebook page is just my name, and then I have a Louder Than Hell page, um, but it's mostly between my my co writer and myself, just kind of chatting with the people who loved that book and putting up little articles that we've written or or show shots from shows we've we've been to recently, or just you know shooting the crap about metal news. Um, now I have a Twitter, but man, I I really. I find it hard to to really um interact with great regularity on a on a Twitter platform. It just kind of I, I it seems hard for me. Hopefully I'll get into it more and it'll <laughs> become more Yeah, of a I'm the same way, man. Tool. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I just have everything auto-tweeted, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, that's probably not the most uh, you know, engaging way to do things, but that's how I do it.
1: Yeah, Facebook works better for me as just kind of a quick tool to get things out there and mostly I just post funny stuff, but um I'm doing a little self-promotion with it. So, um you know, always looking for interesting uh, uh people to to write about and and uh you know, new new books to work on. So, uh, right now I'm kind of between things, but I'm um, I'm uh reaching out. I've got my feelers out for, for a couple other projects and pretty content where, where I am right now. Just hoping that this, uh, this book really, really takes off and, and, uh, and people dig it. You also have the gimme radio, uh, DJ show too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, metalography is the show I'm doing for uh, gimme radio. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I pick one album every episode. I've just really been doing it once a month. And, uh, cause there's a lot of research that goes into it and i uh, play that record in its entirety and then uh talk about how that band surfaced or how this record came about how important it is in their in their catalog and then i'll play other bands that were making music around the same time i'll play bands that they were in that the, the the featured artist was influenced by and then bands who they influenced and then there'll also be Offshoots like if these some guys in you know let's say Napalm Death they all went off and did did side projects and and joined other bands and so so you know we'll have little things by maybe you know put a Meat Hook Seed track up or a Godflesh song or 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 you know Scorn. something else that uh, yeah definitely Scorn although every Scorn song is about twenty minutes long yeah that's so. true <laughs> <laughs> the show's only so long but that's been a lot of fun. Um, and I'm hoping to pick that up again real soon.
0: Yeah, that's, those shows have been really cool. And, um, you know, anyone out there who hasn't subscribed yet to gimme radio, you know, you could be checking out if you're a subscriber, all of these shows on demand instead of having to like jump in whenever it's scheduled. So, you know, that's a little plug to the, uh, you know, to the man, to the people behind this podcast as well. So.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a great, great outlet. A lot of fun. Super knowledgeable people on there, including of course you, and Ross the Boss from Manowar, and and uh, uh, I guess is Randy Blythe still doing his show?
0: I think he's on a sort of extended hiatus because he got really busy,
1: especially when they were doing all those Slayer tours. Right. But right. um, they, and they were always coming up with new, new musicians. And, uh, of course, Will Carroll does a great show. So many, so many really smart and funny guys who tell their stories between playing great music. It's just, it's super platform.
0: Well, thanks for uh, spending time with us. I appreciate it, John. And, uh, you know, any, any last, uh, things you want to plug or any insights onto the, you know, this, this book that you just wrapped up?
1: No, I think I kind of uh, rambled uh, incoherently in a circular fashion for, for quite a while about it. <laughs> that's
0: kind of what this is all about, though, you know what I mean? Like that's the, the, the sort of meat and potatoes of this medium is rambling.
1: So that's good. Yeah, no, no, it's all good. I just I just think that if, if you like wild stories and you enjoy the crazier parts of books like No One Here Gets Out Alive or The Dirt, or, or, uh, hammer of the gods, you know, the Zeppelin book. Um, then that's what it's all about. You'll get all those crazy little bite-sized stories in one book and, uh, you can pick it up anytime. It's a bathroom read too, which is how my agent described it. Um, not that it needs to be flushed down the toilet, but it can sit next to your, uh, commode. And every time you go in to do your business. You could just open to a random page and maybe get a good laugh. Um, so that's, that's one of the real things that uh, I wanted to say about it is that you really don't have to read all 400 pages, 300, whatever, how many pages, 400 pages in one sitting. Um, it's, it's great just to, to open up and read something that's entertaining. I have one thing to add to that.
0: If you're in a band this book is a perfect book to read on tour, which is how I ended up reading a lot of these kind of rock books, like the dirt and, you know, um, you know, off the rails, uh, you know, the Rudy Sarzo bio, things like that. It's like perfect to read on a long drive somewhere.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and it's light reading, you know, it's yeah. not, it's not uh, Tolstoy. <laughs> Tolstoy.
0: <laughs> All right, John, thanks a lot.
1: Thanks for having me, man. You got it.
0: That's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, a Gimme Radio weekly podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. The show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio streaming on the web, iOS, or Android for one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews with artists, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.